you're watching a movie, family member walks in 40 minutes after the movie has started, they sit down and for the rest of the movie they're asking, wait, who is that guy? And they're saying, I don't get it, and at the end of the movie they think it's a terrible movie because they've missed the start. They've missed often the backstory, the setup. If you don't understand the backstory, well, you're like that person who just keeps asking, who is this guy? And what we've been seeing week after week is this backstory, this setup for the New Testament as we read the pages of the Old Testament, this first act of drama. And we've seen all of it. In its, uh, in its great explanation of what it is for God to save. And today we're going to see that this drama extends to the details. The details that we often skip past, but in those details there's much for us to learn. Last week we saw as God spoke to his people about building a place for him to be worshipped, a portable sanctuary where God went to and with his people. And today, in these chapters, in chapters 28 and chapters 29, and hopefully we'll get to chapter 31 as well, we're going to see those who are introduced to work in that tabernacle, that place, the priests, and also those who worked on the tabernacle and those who worked on the tabernacle and the priest's garments, craftsmen, and this section closes with the Sabbath, with this sense of rest. So we're going to see this morning that, firstly, that we have a high priest who worked and works on our behalf in chapters 28 and 29. We're also going to see from Exodus chapter 31 that we have God's Spirit working in us and through us. And hopefully, if we have time, we'll see the Sabbath rest that God has in store for us. So firstly, we have a high priest who worked and works on our behalf in Exodus chapter 28 and 29. So if you've got the uh, book of Exodus there, it'd be great if you could open up to chapter 28 because we see here the focus of chapter 28 is on the priests who serve in the tabernacle. We see how Aaron and his sons would serve as priests and how God prescribes how they are to serve. In chapter 29, we see the consecration of Aaron and his sons. The consecration is his special preparation in order for them to perform the priestly task, this daily offering. And God calls Aaron to this office. Aaron didn't run for office and he didn't appoint himself. No, God has called specifically Aaron and his sons to serve. And we're given the detail of what it's like for them to serve or what they look like as they serve there in Exodus chapter 28. So firstly, the clothes for the priest in Exodus chapter 28 verses 1 to 43. Because these clothes that are given to the priests have a meaning beyond just their utility as covering them from the cold. They're not fashion items either. They're symbols. And each part of the dress has a symbolic meaning. When I was a kid, 
Um, I was in first grade, I think. I was around six or seven. We had a multicultural day at school. And you were to dress up in, uh, you know, whatever uh, nation that you chose. Well, my mother's family are Greek. And so my mother decided that I would be dressed in a traditional Greek soldier's uniform, which sounds better than it looks, because the traditional Greek soldier's uniform has a ballooning white miniskirt with matching white stockings and a flowing blouse. And my mum sent me to school dressed like that because, at least in her mind, these clothes had a meaning beyond fashion and what everyone else thought of me as I sat by myself at recess. You see there in Exodus chapter 28, verse 2, God gives a clear instruction about what these priests are to wear. There in verse 2, make sacred garments for your brother Aaron and to give him dignity and honour. Tell all the skilled workers to whom I have given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration so he may serve me as a priest. In verse 4, God uh, provides name, the names of six of the eight priestly items. See there in verse 4, a, a breast piece, an ephod, a robe, a specially woven tunic, a turban and a sash. And verse 5 gives the outline of the, all the materials that are needed to make these clothes. In verses 6 to 14, we learn that the ephod was this apron, a uh, basically a sleeveless vest that the priest was to wear. It had two, sole, uh, two shoulder straps, and each shoulder strap held an onyx stone. And the names of the 12 sons of Israel were engraved on these stones. And the purpose of the engraving on these stones was to show the role of the high priest. He bore the names of Israel, before the Lord. In verses 15 to 30, God describes this breastpiece for making decisions. It consisted of this pouch that was to be worn on the chest, and it was adorned with gemstones, four rows of three. Each stone had the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel engraved on it. And interestingly, the stones that are mentioned here in Exodus are the same stones that appear in the Garden of Eden and also in the book of Revelation. It reminds us that the language that we're seeing here is, well, really quite reminiscent of the Garden of Eden. We're a long way from the Garden of Eden, but the way in which God prescribes the temple, sorry, not the temple, the tabernacle, and those who are to work in it is very much language borrowed from the book of Genesis. Adam is like a priest in Eden, working the garden sanctuary. In verses 31 to 43, we find a number of items there, a blue robe that's worn under the ephod. On the hem of the robe were imitation pomegranates and these golden bells. The turban was made of fine linen. It had a gold plate with holy to the Lord, engraved on it in verse 36. The tunic um, was a basic uh, overcoat 
of the priests there in verse 39, and there was an embroidered sash which probably held everything together. And even the underpants, or at least the undergarments, are specified there in verses 42 and 43. And all these garments that the priest is to wear, this intricate kind of uniform, if you like, is to remind us that the priest must be righteous. That he can't just approach God in any old fashion. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 32 verse 9, May your priests be clothed with righteousness. So the priests had to look the part. And each item represented something. But they had to be prepared. 28 In chapter 28, we see what they look like. In chapter 29, we see how they are prepared. There's the consecration of the priests. The priests were to be prepared to be consecrated. And firstly, they were to be washed from head to toe. There was this ritual symbolising of cleansing there in verse 4. Everything was anointed, including the priests, And you can imagine the smell, perhaps, that the priests uh, wore from the wilderness. The oil was to run down the head and then onto the garments of the priests. We have this picture in Psalm 133, verse 2, where the oil is pouring down from the head into the beard of the priest. And this is a picture as that oil is poured from the head down onto this priest. It's a picture of God pouring out his spirit onto this man. And like the elements in the tabernacle, the priest was set apart. He was set apart for this special purpose. So he was to wear special clothes. He was to be set apart And he was to offer sacrifices. We see that at the uh, end of the chapter there from verse 10 of chapter 29. Aaron and the priests are to sacrifice these animals. A bull and two rams were required. They were slaughtered, verse 11, before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The bull was a sin offering there in verse 14. And the rams, well, the two of them, the first was a burnt offering in verse 18 and the second was an offering for ordination in verse 22. And there's this tremendous symbolism that's going on again in these animals. In verses 10 to 14, we read that they place their hands upon the head of the bull and the bull is killed symbolising their sin that's transferred upon that bull. And this was applied to those rams as well. Then the priests were to have their garments sprinkled with his blood. And here this whole setup in the book of Exodus is to remind us that not anyone can approach God. And they can't be just wearing anything And they can't just at any time approach God. No one can enter God's presence. We're reminded here in chapters 28 and chapter 29, apart from blood. And as they obeyed the Lord's instruction, 
the sacrifice produced a pleasing aroma. We read in verse 18 and verse 25. The chapter there has this picture and it's reminiscent of what we saw back in chapter 24 where Israel's elders had this meal before God. Now we see here in chapter 29 the priests eat with God at the tabernacle. And this meal was to display that they were in this special covenant relationship with God and that they enjoyed fellowship with him. And this whole ceremony was repeated for seven days. And the idea here that we're seeing in chapters 28 and chapter 29 of the book of Exodus, the big idea here is that really God is dwelling with his people, but his people are sinful. Exodus chapter 29 verse 46 says this, And they will know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, so that I might dwell among them. This is in order for God to be with his people, to dwell amongst them. And this morning we're reminded that it's the same for us, that God has brought us out of the slavery of sin and we worship him in his presence, in the new covenant through his spirit. Now he dwells with us. He dwells with us and among us here because of the Lord Jesus. And it gives us a moment to reflect on what the Lord Jesus has done for us in bringing us to God. These two chapters call our attention to the work of this priest, who he is and what he's to look like and what he does. And we're reminded that the Lord Jesus, as we've seen Moses take his people through those waters, we're reminded that the Lord Jesus is a better prophet than Moses. And this morning we're reminded that the Lord Jesus is a better priest than Aaron. The book of Hebrews makes this clear. It says that Jesus is superior in every way. Hebrews calls Jesus a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. The book of Hebrews calls Jesus a great high priest, a high priest forever, a high priest of the good things that have to come, a great high priest of the house of God. We're reminded this morning that Jesus, as the great high priest, stands superior, stands superior to all those details, as important as they were in that time for God to dwell with his people. Jesus is superior, and he's superior in numerous ways. Firstly, Jesus is superior in his holiness. The problem facing the priests in Exodus was that for all the blood of bulls and goats, they were still sinners in their hearts. And so they had to make sacrifices. They had to wear external garments. But that was not enough. Throughout the Old Testament, the priests were imperfect, but reminded in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is perfect. He never fails. And the Lord Jesus was not clothed with beautiful garments, 
but he was clothed with perfect holiness. He was clothed with glory, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And he did not need to offer a sacrifice for himself because he himself was sinless, Hebrews chapter 7. So firstly, the Lord Jesus is superior in his holiness, but he's not just superior in his holiness, he's superior in his anointing because he too was anointed for his priestly ministry. In his baptism, he was anointed for this ministry. And instead of oil pouring down from Jesus' head, oil symbolising the Spirit, the Spirit himself, we read in Jesus' baptism in Luke chapter 3, descended on the Lord Jesus. Luke said in Acts chapter 10, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus is our great high priest and he's superior in his anointing. He's superior in his holiness, but he's also superior in his representation because the high priest represented, represented the nation towards God. Each and every one of those people collectively were represented by that high priest. He carried their names with him, that high priest. Yet, In the Lord Jesus, we have a better representation. Jesus, the Son of God, represents us. And instead of carrying stones on his shoulders, he carried the cross. He carried us on his shoulders, bearing the judgment in our place. And more than that, he carried our names, not on a breast piece, but in his heart. For if we are in Christ, we died with him. We were raised with him. We are united with Christ. The book of Isaiah tells us that our names are engraved upon his hands. And he offers a better sacrifice in his representation. He didn't sacrifice animals, but he himself was that sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 9 tells us. Here is the good news. As we read those details from Exodus chapter 28, chapter 29, as we read about the intricate makeup of how the priest was to be clothed, of all the things that the priest needed to do, we're reminded that the Father now sees us, not through the representation of some priest, but through the great high priest. The Father now sees us through the Lord Jesus. The Father has accepted the Lord Jesus and his priestly work. And that means that if you trust in the Lord Jesus, you are, you are as accepted today as Jesus himself is. Jesus is superior in every way. He's superior also in his intercession, in the way he pleads on behalf of his people. That breast peace was a reminder that the priest interceded. He went before the people. He went before the people as he took items for making decisions. It was a reminder of this act. He carried their concerns. But in a greater way, Jesus continues to carry our concerns upon his heart. One of the things we're reminded in the New Testament is that as we are to pray, And as we should pray, more importantly, 
then our prayers are the prayers of the Lord Jesus. That's what he's doing now. He's praying on behalf of us to the Father. And in contrast to the former priesthood that we read in the book of Exodus, Jesus' priesthood is permanent. There is no one else like him. We're reminded in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 25, he, Jesus, is always able to save those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. We have someone who goes before us to God. And when we get tempted in despair, we can say, like Paul in the book of Romans in chapter 8, who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God the Father and intercedes for us. The Lord Jesus is our great high priest and he's pleading for us. He's interceding for us. He's praying for us. We see that we have this great high priest who intercedes for us, but we also see in this section in Exodus chapter 31 that the Spirit of God enables us to serve God's people for God's glory. The work of God in the Old Testament was only accomplished by the Spirit of God. And in Exodus chapter 31, we again see these um, uh, parallels to the creation narrative. Just as God did his work in creation by the Spirit, so he does his work in this tabernacle, this little version of the Garden of Eden. He does it by his Spirit. He chose Bel-El and Oliab from Dan. He chose them specifically to be his craftsmen. And their skill didn't didn't originate in themselves, but their skill was from God. You see there in Exodus chapter 31, verse 3, look how the work of the Spirit is described. It's described there in verse 3, I have filled him with God's Spirit. And later on in verse 6, I have placed wisdom within every skilled craftsman in order to make all that I have commanded you. God enabled these men to build the tabernacle. But he enabled them to build this tabernacle by his spirit. And when we read there in verse 3 of wisdom and understanding and ability, these are not additional qualities that went along with the work of the spirit. Instead, God gave the one thing, as one commentator notes, the one thing. He gave his spirit. And the spirit sanctified their ability, their intelligence, their knowledge, their wisdom. And sometimes God does give supernatural uh, ability beyond that of a normal person's ability. But more often, I think, the way God works through his spirit is that he perfects and uses what he's given to us by nature, he now uses by his spirit. We see later on in the, in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 35, verse 31, that these craftsmen were empowered to perform their tasks by the work of the Spirit. 
This section here in Exodus chapter 31 is really the important background to the way in which we see in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, in the book of Luke, in the book of Ephesians, God filling his people with his spirit. And when he fills his people, it's not just a particular special kind of person. We see in the book of Acts, he fills those who trust in the Lord Jesus. And we're reminded from these craftsmen at least two things this morning. Firstly, that we too need the Spirit of God to accomplish the work of God. God gifted these men with his Spirit. And we too need God's Spirit to carry out God's work. Too quickly, I think we stop thanking God for the work of his Spirit. Too quickly, we assume God's work by his Spirit And we too quickly stop relying on God's spirit to be at work. And one of the great dangers of being Christian for a little while is becoming a mechanical kind of Christian, just going through the motions, trying to serve God simply out of our own energy and our own resources. But this morning, friends, we're reminded that we need the spirit of God to do the work of God. And we're also reminded that the Spirit fills us to do tasks that that aren't considered necessarily sensational in the eyes of others. To have the Spirit of God at work in our lives, it's it's not the, um, the incredible Hulk syndrome. When the Spirit kind of comes upon you, you turn into this different kind of green creature. That's not the normal way in which God uses his spirit. He used his spirit to help those who brought about the construction of the temple and those garments through, through their normal gifts. And so too he does for us. And finally, we see here in, at the end of chapter, uh, chapter 31 that we have a Sabbath rest. We have a Sabbath rest and again the way chapter 31 finishes reminds us of what? It reminds us again of the book of Genesis. Israel is to rest just as God rested. Seven times the phrase the Lord spoke or the Lord said appears in chapters 25 to 31. Seven times echoing the creation account. God's creation rest occurred once but this weekly sabbath that god's people are to take is a reminder of god resting in his creation and so too for us as people of this new covenant we're reminded that we have our rest in the lord jesus there remains a permanent rest for us hebrews chapter 4 verse 9 and we find our rest in jesus who has done the work for us Amen. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a great high priest who has worked for us and has worked in us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you have given us your spirit to work in us. And we pray, Father, that we might rest in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing.